and I'm going to ask my colleague <laughs> to come and take over from here. I didn't have any water, so you can have both. It is good to be here. It's good to be a colleague. I like that. Join that. Um, I have got a, a debris. Have you found it? Ah, there we go. Guess what I'm going to be talking about today? There's a clicker. I have a clicker. Yeah. So let's start with a question then. Would you rather live in Barbie world or Oh, oh, now that's interesting. Or Kendom. Now, it feels like a stark question. And I want to reassure you, if you haven't watched the film of the summer, and really, you should watch the film of the summer. But if you haven't, there are going to be A, no spoilers, and B, it doesn't matter. It won't spoil the sermon, I promise. So, we are presented in the film with this quite stark choice between Barbie world or Kendom. And as I say, no spoilers, but Barbie world is essentially full of pink and dancing and a little light to moderate ignoring of the Kens. Uh, and, and oh gosh, do I need to start from, from first basics? Possibly. Barbie is a pink plastic doll. She's a girl. Ken is a pink plastic doll. He's a boy. Right, that's all you really need to know. Kendom, on the other hand, is run by the Kens, uh, and there's a lot of beer and objectification of women. So those are our two choices, and I don't think either are particularly good choices, let's be clear. So we're going to be thinking today about the or. Because the world likes to set up the stark choices, the binary, the neat categories, city or united, duran duran or wham, bitter or lager, crisps or chocolate, scientist or believer, morning owl, morning owl, morning person or night owl, Star Wars or Star Trek, these are the stark choices that the world puts in front of us. Cream on first or cream on second? <laughs> that, of course, is a trick one because there's only one right answer. <laughs> now, full disclosure, I surprised myself by firstly going to see the Barbie film and then enjoying the Barbie film. But I did. And it raises some questions. Barbie, again, it's not a particular spoiler, Barbie, ha Barbie has an existential crisis in the film. She really questions, who am I? What is it all for? And those, of course, are very human questions. Who am I? What is it all for? And although the film is about this plastic lump of commercialism, there have been many articles written in both the mainstream and the Christian press and they all tend to go along similar lines. And I'm not going to cover that ground because honestly, I don't think, certainly for us as Christians, but even for the, the rest of the world, 
The question shouldn't be about boys and girls and definitely not about boys versus girls. I think there is something more going on in Barbie land and Kendom and this real world. I think the question is about creating perfect worlds, about creating a perfectly controlled world, a world where I get to mold what is happening, a world controlled by my desires, by our desires. And arguably, that's what all toys are about, all toys of all generations whether we're talking about a Hornby train set or a doll whose eyes open and close when you pick her up and put her down, dinky cars, action man, my little pony, Minecraft, whichever era you had your toys in. I'm largely about controlling that environment. And that's okay, isn't it? Because children rarely have agency or power over their environment. And if when they're playing, they get to make it so that the baby stops crying, or that mummy and daddy talk nicely to each other, or the trains run on time, that's okay. In the Barbie dream house, there is no bedtime. When Action Man is scaling a cliff, there is no gravity to make him fall down, and that's okay. Trouble is, it's not just children who want to control everything and make it perfect for us. It's a human thing. See, I have actually got lots of pictures of Babacoon Model Village. I'm not convinced that is one, but you get the idea. Who hasn't been to a model village and thought, oh, yes, just like that with funny shop names and, and pe people who don't get into trouble and make everything messy and horrible. As for adults, we veer wildly between, on the one hand, nurturing this illusion that we have control, complete control over our lives, and that by desiring something enough, by wishing it hard enough, even by working hard enough for it, we will make it just so. And then the other days when we wake up and we realize that we live in nothing but mire and chaos. So we battle constantly against natural aging, against even eating with the seasons. We even mess with our circadian rhythms by staring at blue screens until all hours of the night. And we think we can control our environment on a grand scale. And we think we can control ourselves on the small scale. Do you remember the story of King Canute? And then he, poor King Canute, I'm a medieval historian, so I can tell you this. Canute always went down in history as the silly king who said that he could send the waves back. Well, actually, no. Canute was trying to prove to his courtiers that nobody could do that. His foolish, the foolish men around him said, no, you're so powerful and wonderful, you could even control the sea. And he said, don't be ridiculous. 
nobody controls the sea. And that's why he stood on the shoreline and said, go back waves, go back knowing that they would not. It's something that we seem to have forgotten. Have you heard about the development in Dubai? It started 20 years or so ago. It's barely started. It certainly isn't finished. But already what they're doing, they're, they're creating an archipelago, a man-made series of islands. And the islands form the shape of the map of the world. So I think the idea is that if you're really, really wealthy, you can buy Africa and live on Africa and have your own massive house. Or you can buy the United Kingdom. Ugh, it's going to appeal to somebody, isn't it? But in the meantime, what they've done is totally mess with the tides the, 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 um, and, and the, the natural habitats of fish and turtles. They have destroyed an ecosystem. Why? Because we as humans think that we can control things. We haven't ever quite got beyond rearranging the furniture in the doll's house. I said from the start that this was about a stark choice between Barbie land or Kendom. Barbie land, the gentle but actually quite ineffective matriarchy, Kendom, the patriarchy of machismo, mansplaining, sort of fighting, and tough horses. I don't really understand it, but there were a lot of tough horses. So, finally, we get to the Bible. Because it shouldn't come as a surprise that if things feel a little wonky, if they feel out of kilter, if it feels like we're looking at two choices and thinking they're both pretty rubbish, if whatever it is that we're looking at still doesn't offer us much other than pain or misery or poverty, if that's what we're looking at, then that's not what God ever had or has planned for us. It's not God's plan for us to have control or for there to be terrifying chaos. So it's not a question of Barbie land or Kendom. Let's look for the or. Am I going to find that? No, we're not. There we go. We're going to find that in Revelation 21. Now, this is a beautiful passage, and certainly the last time I had to read it out loud, it was at a funeral. And we often have it at funerals for really good reasons. But I wanted to explore it a bit more deeply today to give us that alternative, to give us that original and real plan, and to be able to do it without the, the burden of grief. So if you have your own Bibles and you want to follow along, we're in Revelation 21, verse 1. Also, I probably have to say this now, just before I start reading. I have read it many times, um, both in preparation for this and at funerals and so on, and I've never yet got through it without crying. So, 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Now, what Barbie and Ken and God and us have in common is limited. It's really just one thing, as far as I can tell. It is the vision of perfection. This idea that there is something perfect that we can aspire to. Now the difference is, and it's a big difference, is that God's version is perfect. And any version other than God's is going to be limited and flawed. Why? Because anyone other than God is limited and flawed. We can't get it right, not even in our wildest dreams. Now, I got these out of order, so I'm going to go backwards, sorry. There we go. Now, the Barbie and Ken version of perfection is generally based on, on a physicality, the perfect body, the ideal home, the beach that never has sewage or dangerous waves or litter or even other people. And the human version of perfection, obviously not much of a coincidence, tends to go along the same lines. The perfect body, the ideal home, the latest car, the latest phone, the latest streaming service, the family that never argues, the mortgage that never goes up. But what they have in common is that it's all about human desire. What it is that I want. And when I have what I want, then everything will be okay. Which means that even though I want to talk about Revelation 21, I'm going to go back a bit, just a bit, to Genesis. Because the creation story is all about God. I think we forget that. We're so excited to tell the creation of, of us and, and of the beautiful world and, and, and the animals and everything else. Yeah, yeah. But we forget that it's God's world, that he made it, that the whole story 
is about what God wanted, what God made, and how pleased God was with it. It's not about us. And it's certainly not about us controlling anything. I will grant you that the word subduing is part of it. You will subdue the world. You will steward the world. But it's still only in the context of what God has planned for his world as a totality, as a whole thing. So what's God's vision for his creation? What's that or? What's the alternative? Well, Revelation 21 gives us some glimpses. It's a place of beauty, of peace, of calm, and of order. And there's that little line in there, isn't there, about there being no more sea. Sorry, hang on a sec. There we go. Now, that's a tricky one, because I love the sea. I grew up near the sea. I plan to move near the sea. And the sea is glorious, isn't it? Waves, sunshine, lying on a beach, walking along the promenade in a wind. It's all lovely. So why would God want us to do without sandcastles and ice creams? Of course, that's not what he means. From Genesis to Revelation, the sea always appears as a symbol of chaos, of disorder, even of evil. And that's true in the Bible. It's also true of pretty much all ancient Near Eastern civilizations. It's an ancient thing, the fear of the sea, for good reason. It isn't controllable, as Canute established. So because the sea is uncontrollable, even evil, that's why it's so amazing in Genesis when God boundaries it. God sets up earth and sea and says, no, the sea belongs there. I make it so. And that's why in Revelation, it tells us that there is no more sea. Because God's vision of the future isn't about taming evil. It's not about consigning evil to a prison where the oceans currently are. It's about saying no, no more evil at all. No more chaos, no more light and shadow. Nothing more for God to be compared up against, just God. And we get more of a glimpse of that with this word, new. Revelation 21 tells us that there is a new creation. Now, we might say, as we meet a friend for a drink or a chat, hi, I've got a new jumper. Do you like my new jumper? It's less less bobbly, less saggy than the old one. It's in a glorious new colour. I love my new jumper. And that is a good thing. How exciting to have a new jumper. It's got no stains, no moth holes. Lovely. A new jumper is nice. But that's not the Greek word new that John chooses to use, that John was given when writing Revelation. 
The Greek word new that he uses means new as in a new kind of thing, a thing that you have never even imagined. So not, I have a new jumper, but I have a new form of body covering, which is utterly perfect. It repels stains and smells and rain and wind. And then it makes me a cup of tea and a cheese sandwich. It's beyond imagining how new and how perfect and how wonderful this is. Because whatever we imagine the new heaven and earth to be like, you've got to add one. Have you ever played that game with small children where you say, what's the biggest number you can think of? And they say, oh, 5,000. And you say, yeah, 5,001. Oh, 2 million. Nah, 2 million and 1. Oh, infinity. Infinity and 1. That's what the new heaven and earth is like. Whatever you've got in your head, it's more. It's better. It's perfect because it's God's. And there are still more clues. It tells us there will be no more weeping, no more mourning, which means no more pain, no more illness, death, sadness, no more striving. We won't constantly be thinking, what more should I be doing? What more should I have or be trying to have or to be? No more. Because there will be no more human desire, only as it was always supposed to be. Only God's desire. And there will be no more presence of evil. Only God's presence. Every day, in every way, direct here with us presence all the time and for all time. Well, that's why we have this reading at funerals, because of the hope. Even at our lowest ebb, we know that there are better days coming and what days they will be. And I can hear, and I know many of you will have heard, the voice of the cynic, the atheist, the voice of the person, and it may be you this morning, who is just plain weary of waiting for this time. And that voice is saying, oh, yeah, it's pie in the sky. It's a fairy tale that may or may not come true. It's distant future stuff, so it doesn't really bear on my life. I think the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Is this world the way that things currently are, is it so good 
that we're prepared to dismiss an alternative out of hand because it might not happen. Are we so wedded to the way that things currently are that we can't try and find a different way that might mean completely upending, uprooting, completely transforming the way that things currently are. Because even as Christians, even God's beautiful church, his bride, even we, fall into this trap of the worldview that says we need stuff, that human desire is the best way that we need to have more in order to be more. That we can only really be happy when we are like somebody perfect. Well, that's an existential question. It's a big question. I don't intend to answer it. I leave it with you to contemplate to think, is it so great that we want to keep much of this world? Isn't there something better that we can focus on? Isn't there a way to bind us to God's vision, to live in a different way, to be different, to model something new to this world? It might only ever be a pale foreshadow but it is a glimpse nonetheless of what God always planned. So yes, we do need to think and act boldly, counterculturally, not starting from the world view, but starting from God's view. Because we believe that God always had a plan and this isn't really it. Because even those with no faith, even those people realize that the world we live in, it's not exactly unmitigated joy and success, is it? So surely we have very little to lose in backing this whole new vision of God's. And then let's go back again, there we go. This last verse, let's focus back on this. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. The verses are written in the present tense. This isn't about a distant future. And we know, don't we? We know as we sit here in this space, that we are not alone, that we have just prayed in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we have prayed to the name of the risen Lord Jesus. This process has begun. This is not future pie in the sky. It is now. We are in the middle of a time of change that started with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That was the beginning of the promise. We are in the middle of it. And no, we're not at the end yet. 
We're not yet living in the new heaven and the new earth, but we're getting there. It's an ongoing process. Jesus has already fulfilled part of God's plan. God is even now making all things new. And it's not me. It's not even the Apostle John. It's God speaking. Trustworthy and true are these words. And he's promised a lot, God, right from the start, right from Genesis, he promised. Well, he hasn't reneged so far. He hasn't given up on us so far. He promised rescue and redemption, a Messiah. He promised the Holy Spirit and forgiveness and victory. And all of that has come to pass and is still happening. So, Barbie world, Kendom, war. Barbie world and Kendom are escapes. They are welcome distractions from the fallen, chaotic, scary, frequently miserable world that we live in. And I will say again, for children playing, that is more than okay. But back in the real world, what Jesus offers is not distraction, not crutch, not a hiding place, but transformation, personal and environmental, the whole shebang, transformation into its intended form, what God always had planned for us. So whether you've seen the film or not, whether you enjoyed it or not, whatever your personal feelings about commercialized lumps of plastic, God offers something more, more than escape, something more satisfying than the illusion of control. We have the power to change. No, we change in his power as we sang. And then we get to live a life lived in his desire, as he made us to do. He has lived with us as Emmanuel. His glory will once again fill the whole earth. But here, in this in-between bit, we listen for his voice. We hold those promises and we reject the shiny but empty alternatives that the world offers because church we are his bride we are his beloved we are his precious one so let's not choose the illusion of control let's not get lost in who has power and who doesn't Let's definitely not make this a boys versus girls thing because none of us should have that power. It is God's power. So let's not focus on our wonky, distorted desire, 
but on God's desire for us, his hope, his salvation, his freedom that reigns in his kingdom. So not Barbie land, not Kendom. But God's new Jerusalem, here and now and still to come, and it will be, and it is filled with his eternal love and his living hope. So let's hold that thought of eternal love and living hope pray with me now loving God we thank you that you have a plan that you have always had a plan that from the garden of Eden to the new heaven and earth that plan has not deviated we are so sorry for the messes we have made and particularly for those desires those strivings that take us away from your desire for us. Help us, we pray, to let go of control and power, to hold on to you. Guide us, lead us, hold us in this in-between time. Help us to look forward to that perfect time, but to be present in this time, listening for your voice, and living in your hope. In your name, amen. So let's continue that thinking about that hope that Jesus gave us with his life, his death, his resurrection. Let's stand together.